You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, church. Thank you, worship team. Thanks to the Millers and the McAllisters. Appreciate you guys. A good band name, the M&Ms, right? Just thought of that right now. So you can use that if you like. Before we get started and before we pray, I'd like to just uh, acknowledge a young man who's having a birthday this week, uh, Mr. Robert Guy, is turning 80 years old. Robert? And so I just want to acknowledge that, you know, we, we all have birthdays and all this fanfare and cards and cake, and we really haven't done much with our lives. So what, what do we deserve all that for? But when you turn 80, you deserve a birthday, right? You deserve a big cake and all the cards and accolades that go with it. So we appreciate you, Robert, and your influence in the, the kingdom of God. And so we're going to pray for Robert and then pray for the message. So please bow your heads and, and join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father, and that you're in heaven, and that you're high, and you're, you're above, and you're lifted up, Lord, and you're holy, and you're perfect, and we can trust you, we can put our faith in you, because you are faithful, and we can't say that about anyone else or anything else in this world, so thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your church, that you have made a family, you have made a people for yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, took away our sins, gave us his righteousness, we might stand before a holy God, justified. And it's all because of Jesus. And so we thank you for that. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indwell your people, and you give us strength and power to live this life well, and to use the gifts you've given us to serve others. And we're so thankful for our servant and our brother, Robert, who has given so many faithful years uh, using the things that he enjoys. He's our resident historian, our tour guide, uh, a man of many miles, uh, to be sure, Lord. But he, um, he blesses your people with the gift of presence and teaches them about the past so that they can kind of learn who we are now and where we're going. And that's, that's a rare thing. And so thank you for our brother. I thank you for his life. Thank you for the 80 years on this earth. And we pray you give him many more. Lord, and I, I pray for his health concerns. There's many things that are hindering him at the moment, Lord, and you know that. Lord, you are the great physician. You are the great healer. You can heal our brother. And I pray right now as you hear the collective prayers of your people, you would answer, Lord, and you would heal our brother of his pain, of his limitations. Give him the freedom to enjoy this life and all the things that you've put in him. Let him continue to, to serve this church um, by doing hikes and taking people on tours and so, Father, we thank you for him. May you bless his day, and Lord, may you be with us as well as we open your word. Uh, we come through those doors with, um, as usual, Lord, many distractions, um, many failures throughout the week, maybe some successes, Lord, maybe some praises. 
But often there's a heaviness. This world, there's chaos and uncertainty, tension. Many things have changed, Lord. And we know that whenever you are on the move, Lord, there's great opposition. And so we are not ignorant or indifferent to that, Lord. Help us to be a prayerful people, to engage in dependence upon you, to pray, to intercede on behalf of the church and your people who right now there are many churches that still can't gather, Lord. We pray you would make a way to open those churches, that your people can gather corporately again and lift up your name, that we can be a light to this world and not hiding in our homes. Help us, Lord, to navigate all these uncharted waters, Lord. Thank you so much for your word, that it is, it is truly a light for us, it is food for us, and without it, Lord, we will shrivel up and die. And um, Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate your word that you had inspired, that you teach us and give us understanding. Please help us this morning. Um, please help me to be clear, to present your word faithfully, and I pray, Father, you would do the work of transformation in our lives and our hearts. Help us to not leave here the same. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, please go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 5. We're in the series in the book of Exodus, and we're taking a look at God's great salvation in his people. He has made a people for himself, and they grew numerically, and they started taking over the, the whole land of Egypt to the point where the, the first pharaoh of our story was threatened by that. And in his... In his perceived threats of these people that were outnumbering them, he wanted to oppress them, take them out, cause them great harm, break their backs, break their spirits, break their numbers, to the point of wanting to commit infanticide. He's willing to kill babies. He's willing to commit murder against innocent babies. Why? Because he's, he's threatened. He is God. He will be in control. He will say what happens. Not these Hebrews, not these abominations. But he also needs them, right? They provide, they provide a grace, really, for his land and for his people, economic um, prosperity and, and all the things that go with their labor. And so he puts them under harsher labor, under, under his thumb, and he creates a bitter life for them, a bitter life of ruthless slavery. And the people, what do they do? They, they cry out to God. They cry out to him, and God, what? He hears them. And he sees them. He remembers his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So he hears them, he sees them, he remembers, and then he knows, right? God knows personally. This is his son, as we saw last week. He's intimately involved. He cares deeply for his people. And so he sets a plan in motion. When he says he remembers, he's, it's, all God is saying is, now's the time. And now I'm going to release you from captivity, take you from bondage, to free you from slavery and take you into a promised land, fellowship with God. And so God saves them from slavery and, and saves them to something far greater. That's his plan, and he has that unfolded, and he has his deliverer, Moses, right? And he saves him providentially, saves Moses from the infanticide, the, the edict of Pharaoh. And the way that God did, did that, we saw how the way that God orchestrated everything, he even... He even God even used Pharaoh's own daughter to save the very child that was supposed to be killed, and he used the Nile, 
what's supposed to be an implement of a weapon of destruction and murder as a, as a means of salvation for Moses. And not only that, that Moses' mother was allowed to actually wean him and raise him, and, she, and they paid her for it. And we see God's economy, we see his sovereignty and all of these, these little, little details in the story. And so we see the life of Moses and God preparing him, and Moses you know, making a bonehead move and thinking he could save everyone by himself. And he gets, he has to run away to Midian and he's got 40 more years and now he's 80 years old. And, and God says, well, not now you're ready. Right? And, and we saw, we saw the theophany, the, the burning bush and God appearing to Moses. And, and Moses is now learning about who this holy God is. He's known God almighty through the oral tradition. He's known that the name of the Lord was given Yahweh that we learned about a couple of weeks ago. It was given to them, but they didn't, they didn't know really who he was. They didn't understand this, this personal name of God and that he was a personal God. And so when Moses asked, you know, who am I supposed to say is, is, is calling here, Lord? When they ask me, who is this God? What do I say? And God said, I am who I am. I am who I am. The great I am. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. This amazing, self-existent, right? self-sufficient, eternal, infinite, unsearchable God. Omnipresent omniscient, immutable. He does not change. He is holy. He is, he is, he's completely other. He's separate from us. And that God cares about his glory. And that's okay when he's the true God, right? And we talked about a definition of glory, the glory of God being the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. All of the attributes, the character all of the person of God manifested in his works and his actions for his people against his enemies. That brings God glory. We're seeing all of who he is. It's a beautiful tapestry. We talked about if you looked at a sunset or a sunrise, and lately we've been having some really nice ones, and if you, if you, if you, if you just catch a glance at it, you have to stop. You're in awe of it. Just the, all the components that go into making a beautiful sunset, it causes you to just be in awe. All of the attributes, the moral perfections, the actions, the, the works of God should cause us to stop. And so last week we looked at the great works of the great I am. We looked at his divine justice, right? We looked at the signs that he provided Moses, the signs and wonders. We looked at the words that God gave his servants. And we looked at it from an evangelistic perspective too, that God gives us words to speak. We don't have to make them up or try to figure them out. We just have to know them. God gives us his words, the gospels, the epistles. They're full of God's words. And so if we know this book, we will know what to say. When others ask, when others are hopeless, when, when things are waning, when things are uncertain, we will have the words of life to present to them because God gives them to us. He gives us the mouth to speak, and he fills our mouth with his words if we would spend time with him, meditate on his word. And so I hope, as the application for last week, you guys spent time in God's word, that you spent time reading and learning. And once again, this is why we have to like change the tape on the video every time, because I, I've got too many scripture references every week, right? Every time I start reading one, then it takes me to another, and all these little tabs are all the things I never get to when I'm up here, because there's just too many, Right? It's, it's, it's great. It's fun. And if you're in God's word, you'll be growing in his grace and, his, and the knowledge of who God is. And that's part of what we're doing here in Exodus is, is the doctrine of God. Who is God? Because in a way, in some, it's not that we're intentionally doing this all the time. Maybe sometimes we are. We try to form God in our own image. We want to make him the way that we like him. We want to read the scriptures that we like to read. Right? 
And so our view of God is some rough, you know, crayon depicted stick figure. Like that's, that's what we create in our minds because we're so limited. But God is amazing and he's unsearchable. He's other. He's eternal. He's infinite. We are finite. We can't understand everything that he's doing. And we don't need to either. And so we need to loosen our grip on the things that we think God should be doing, the expectations we have on God, and let God reveal himself to us, receive what he is teaching us about himself. And Exodus helps us with that. God is introducing himself to his people. It's, it's, it's inter- Moses is like, what's, what's your name? What, what name should I give, Lord? I am who I am. Or you can call me Lord, all capitals, right? Yahweh, Jehovah. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's who I am. And this is what I'm going to do. <clears throat> and we read a couple of passages. I'm going to read them again this morning. You can just listen from Isaiah about who this God is. We need to keep learning and letting him reveal himself to us. As it related to the idols of Babylon versus the one true God in Isaiah 46, verse 5, he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god, and they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. This is the God that we serve. It's the same God that Moses was talking to, the same God that is saving Israel. It's the same God that saved us through his son. Isaiah 57. For thus, verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And so we have this holy God that is other, that is high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. I just, I can't, I keep coming back to that. What does that even mean? We can't under, it is a mystery on our end that is okay. He inhabits eternity. He is holy. He, he's, he dwells in the high and holy place, but also with him who's of a contrite and lowly spirit. So this holy God who lives in the heavens, who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, chooses to dwell with his people. It's amazing. And he makes a way for that. And that's what this exodus is about, making a people for himself, dwelling with them. They will be his people. He will be their God. And so we have this picture of a God who dwells with those who are humble and contrite. And there's always another side to it, right? There are those who are not humble, those who are not contrite, those who are combative, those who remain rebellious, those who want to take the throne, those who don't want to know God but want to be God. And that's what we're dealing with this morning in chapter 5 of Exodus. We have Pharaoh who wants to set himself up as God. 
And this question that Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? Who is this God? Is kind of one of the, the themes running through Exodus. You want to know who I am? I'm going to show you. <laughs> and those of you who are under judgment, who are wicked, who rebel against me, who do not listen to my word, you're not going to like this. Right? But those of you who are called to be mine, who are my people, who serve me, who repent, who, who sacrifice, who give yourselves to me fully, who listen to my commands, you're going to have this incredible joy. And so that's the, the disparity, that's the separation, that they will be a nation different from the others, but they can bless other nations as well. And so we, we ended last week, chapter 4, um, with a really good ending, right? So then the people believe, so at the end of chapter 4, so Moses, they, Moses and Aaron, they, they have their struggle, they ask their questions, they're not sure if they sh- they're the right people, they, they, they're, they're hesitant to go, but they do. We, we, I like that. I like the fact that we don't see Moses on the next page running away, right, to the next town and starting all over again. Right? We see him actually engaging. And he goes to the elders. He does the signs. The people believe. It says, the people believe. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their head, heads and worshiped. So that's, that's what you want to hear, right? That's the great end of the story. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. And like any good story, like any good movement of God, there's always that, there's always that really fun start. There's the excitement. There's the hope of promise. There's all the good things that come. And then you step into it and you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey. And yes, Lord, we're going to do this. And, and then what happens? You quickly get knocked to the ground, right? There's opposition. Anytime God is moving, there's an opponent there. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about this component, this behind the scenes, this spiritual warfare piece, if you will, in the life of Pharaoh and how he interacts with God's people. So let's read chapter 5. So all is good. Things are going well. They have some momentum. Verse 1, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. We'll stop there and and look at kind of the first point. Um, Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? And the first thing we see here um, is that Pharaoh defied the Lord. He defied the Lord. He he had an attitude of defiance. Who is this God? I don't know him. And moreover, I'm not going to let anyone go. Right? There's automatic resistance. And I, I think, number one, we see later that, that Moses is surprised by this. The people are surprised by this. They don't like this at all. Like, where is this faithful God? Where is this great deliverance? Even though God told Moses, you're going to go and you're going to say this. Let my people go. And, and Pharaoh's going to say no. God told him that. Right? He told him there will be resistance. There will be opposition. He will try to stop you. But this is what I'm going to do then. I will show you what I will do. All these wonders, these judgments. And I will 
I will have him release you, and we will go do the things that I've promised. So God already told them what was going to take place, and yet they're still found surprised. Right? And Moses is even asking at the end, what's the point here, Lord? So we see Pharaoh defying the Lord. He doesn't really want to know God. He wants to be God. How many of us are surprised by this when we step forward in faith, when we start a new ministry, when we start a new initiative, when you start your Bible reading? Here I go again. I got the new app. It's, it's version 25, right? And I'm going to start in Genesis again. Maybe I should just start in Exodus now because I keep starting in Genesis and I'm not getting very far. I don't know. I'm starting again and I'm going to check the boxes and, and we're going to walk through it. And, and then Monday is good and Tuesday's okay. And then it's a month later. Oh, what happened? Right. Now i got to catch back up. Or you want to start prayer time with your spouse or with your children, or you want to engage in a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. You want to, you want to step into leading worship. Right? Anything that you just, maybe it's coffee or the greeter ministry or whatever it is, and then something happens. Opposition takes place, and we're surprised. It's like if, if we ever get to watch football again, it's like stepping onto the football field and you have all your pads. Your, your, your whole uniform is designed so that you will be hit and hit hard and you can survive, right? So if you're on the football field and you start running toward the goal, the goal is to, is to score a touchdown and, and get more points than the other team, and someone comes up and a 300-pound gentleman knocks you 10 yards backwards, right, with barely any effort, are you going to be surprised? Are you going to go up to the ref like, what? he hit me. What? Why is he hit? This is football, right? You're in the right, you're in the right field. You're in the right classroom. This is, this is what happens on the field. Why are we surprised by this? Men and women, they go to battle. People might shoot at them. Are they surprised that there's an enemy? It's a battle. It's a It's war. And so as much as this might seem like it's just about Israel versus Egypt, this is a lot to do with God versus Satan. It always has. And so when you step into an area of, of obedience and you start to serve the Lord or do something and moving toward him, obeying him in something, and all these terrible things start happening to you, know that you're in good company. And we'll look at some of those stories today. I've had countless of them myself and other people. I step out and, Lord, here we go. This is going to be good. And I, I just, we're going to teach this class and start prepping for the class. And what happens? Or start prepping for some other area of service. Or we have a good meeting or a new ministry starting. And what, what takes place? Think about it in your own life. What, what are some of the things that actually take place? You start arguing with your spouse more, right? Suddenly there's unrest in the home or your kids get sick, or you get sick, right? You get a flat tire on the way to work. You hit a deer on the way home from work, right? You lose your wallet. You find your wallet, but then you drop it in a puddle, and you're like, what the heck, Lord? What is going on? Why is this? I'm your servant, and I'm doing these great things. There should be just a red carpet with flowers on the side of it, walking through this, right? Isn't that what Christianity is about? And all these... These difficult things come your way. But you make it through. You make it through that day, and you pray through it, and, Lord, you're, you're doing well, and, and you make, make it through toward the end of the evening, and you, you go through a drive-thru and you, just to get some dinner, and, and then this is the last straw. They put mayonnaise on my sandwich, and I'm, 
And it's a Diet Coke, and I ordered Coke, and I didn't even get a fork. I, how am I supposed to eat this salad? Lord, I was trying to eat a salad. I'm trying to be healthy. I prayed all day that I could eat healthy. Now there's no fork. Lord, I'm done. I can't disciple that person. I can't step into that ministry with mayonnaise on my sand. Right? It's that, little, it's that little thing. It's the last thing that always gets us. We make it through. We're prayerful. We're in God's word. It's that little thing. If you can get past the fork and the mayonnaise, you'll be good. Just get to the next day, right? New day, new mercies from the Lord. And bring a fork next time, right? We adapt. We, we are content in our, in our trials, but it happens every time. So I don't want us to be ignorant of the fact that there's a battle going on behind the scenes, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Pharaoh defied the Lord. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I'm not going to let Israel go. I'm not going to do it. God said something. The enemy says no. And how do we know that there's an influence behind Pharaoh? Well, there's always an influence behind evil intent and, and sinful man. We have an enemy. We have Satan who in the garden whispered in the ears of Adam and Eve and told Eve, well, did God really say that? You're, you're not going to really die. In fact, you're going to be, there's a lot of wisdom if you eat this. You're going to be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. Oh, well, that sounds good. There's always a whisper behind the scenes. Satan is real. Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 12, we see a little bit of what happened here. The same spirit of a Pharaoh who doesn't want to acknowledge God, but wants to be God. God says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. This is about Lucifer. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. I will make myself like the most high. And then in Ezekiel chapter 28, this is a prophecy against the prince of, or the the king of Tyre. So it's a prophecy against the king himself, which in the previous passage, God talks about him being a man, even though he sets himself up as a God. But then we see God in this prophecy, this lamentation, that it's really someone who was back in the garden. It was actually an angel. So this is another description of what happened to Satan. So Ezekiel chapter 28, verses, uh, starting verse 12. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So this is the picture of, of the evil one, and we know that he actually exists. The scriptures, especially in the New Testament, speak of him often and warn us against his influence, against his schemes, something that we are to take seriously. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, so suffering is part of this, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And there's many other scriptures that speak to this satanic influence, that Satan, the accuser, the God of this age, the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, right? the spirit of the one who works in the sons of disobedience, our adversary, the accuser, the devil, Satan, he's at work. Now, he's not someone that we are to be focused on, but we are not to be ignorant of him either. And so the fact that this is a spiritual warfare, this is something that happens behind the scenes, even though it's happening on the physical stage of life, that, that requires us to then be a people of prayer, people that are dependent, that we fight with spiritual weapons and not with physical. And that's That's often our problem. We think that uh, we just need to fight with our fists and with our hands and with our arms folded and with our anger and with our words. But instead, God's the one that fights in our behalf. He's the one that takes care of these things. He has the promises in place. We discharge those promises with his power and dependence on him. And so in Ephesians 6, this is not something to just memorize and glance over. This is God's truth. So Ephesians 6 And we'll come back to Exodus here in a moment. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Listen to God's word. Listen to Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. When all these things come crumbling down, when there's there's representatives of our government, when there's governors, when there's mayors, when there's city council, when when there's people in the media, when people are telling us what to do and what we should believe and how we should do it, and we as, as, as God's people are impacted by that to one degree or another, whether there's wisdom in what they say, whether there's some science and truth, or whether it's all a power grab, regardless of that, when there's, when there's oppression in any, any degree, when there's, when there's someone telling us how we should live our life and how we should worship and those types of things, it's frustrating. My first response, I want my first response to be, 
you know, a prayer to the Lord to, to give that back to him. But I'm still growing. I'm still being sanctified. And so I, I, have, I have to take a couple of days of pacing around my house, right? Just like looking out the windows, like a nervous dog waiting for something to happen, just pacing around. And yes, I'm talking to the Lord, but I'm, I'm kind of just frustrated. And why, Lord? And why this and why that? And this doesn't make sense. And God, if you're, if you're God, why aren't you doing it this way, right? And after a couple days and, and coming back to the word and coming back in prayer, God calms me down and he shows me that he's got this, that he takes care of this, that he's in this, that he works through these things. This is how he's always worked. And why am I surprised by the struggle? Why am I surprised that after a good day of ministry or a good conversation with someone and there's some, there's some general encouragement in my heart, right? And I'm just about to go and then someone else stops me and, and says one little thing, or I get an email that says one little thing, or, or something happens to the car, or, or something happens with my family or something, and I'm just deflated. It's opposition. It's okay. It's going to happen. It creates dependence. We are not to go sin at that point. We are to be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. And so here's what we are to do. Put on the whole armor of God. This is not just a bumper sticker. This is real. Why? Why do we put on this armor of God? What's the point of it? Are we going to look really cool? Is it really shiny? Right? What's the, what's the, what's the idea here? Are we going to be a good Christian if we just check all the boxes? No, it's so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God wants us to be able to stand. He cares about us. We are his sons and daughters. We are his people. He wants us to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's allowing the schemes to take place. He's allowing the oppression to take place. He's allowing the persecution to take place for now. You got to remember that for now. In his divine justice, he will make everything right. He will reconcile all things to himself through Christ. He will make everything perfect. We will be perfect. But for now, in his wisdom, remember we're talking about this God who's infinite. We are finite. We can't understand why. Our why is okay to talk. We can give the Lord why, but then it needs to lead us back to worship because of who he is. Say your why, say your peace to the Lord, and then worship him. He allows the schemes of the devil to take place. And Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Is this an evil day? Yes. How can you withstand this? By putting on all the things that God gives you to put on. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. There's a lot of standing going on, right? The picture that Paul has here is is people standing, engaging, serving, loving others, evangelizing, going out. There's not a lot of sitting in any of this language. I've never seen, find your chair, have a seat, enjoy the show, right? That doesn't exist. We withstand, we stand multiple times even with all this stuff on, right? Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Is God going to stop the flaming darts? 
Does he have a missile program that's just waiting to take those out for us? He gives us faith. And he tells us to, to grow in that, increase our faith. Trust him, walk with him, step out, obey him. And that faith, that shield will protect us. Because why? When you step out and when you obey, you see God work, you see him move. The Holy Spirit confirms that in you. There's great joy that you counted worthy on the, on, the, on, the, on the basis of the name of Christ to be persecuted, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be rejected, to be isolated. And so we're encouraged by that and we see God move. And this was really hard to do, Lord, but I, I see the fruit of that now. I've been working really hard at this and it didn't seem like anybody cared, Lord. And I, I serve and I serve and nobody ever says thank you, Lord. And, I, I, and then what, what do you get in the mail the next day? You get a card. Or as soon as you're done complaining, you turn around and some person's there to encourage you, right? God's grace, God's provision. And your, your faith is increased. You're like, wow, that was amazing. I can't believe that what I said two weeks ago impacted that person's life so much that they did all this this past week. It's amazing. So your faith increases, your shield grows, and now you're walking and those things don't bother you as much because we're being faithful. This is real. This battle actually takes place. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? I told you last week, it comes at hard copy now. Get rid of the distractions on the phone and all the, all the little beeps and buzzes and all the things that keep taking you away while you're trying to read, you're swiping, getting rid of stuff. Just let the Word of God speak. Cherish God's Word. We're supposed to cherish it. Psalm 119, right? We're supposed to, it's supposed to be something that we, we, we can't live without, that we love that we look forward to the word of God. And then it holds everything together here, praying all at all times in the spirit, praying at all times, relying on the Holy spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints prayer dependence on the Lord. Do you believe that prayer is real? If you believe in, in, a, in a God who can move and do things and has all the power, the all-powerful, almighty God, if you believe him, that he can actually do things and that he set, up, he set it up that we pray, that we ask, that we partner, that we participate by asking him, by depending on him. If you believe in those things, we should be praying all the time on all occasions for everyone. Are we doing these things? Do we acknowledge that, that there's an enemy? Even, you know, God is speaking to the lamentation for the, the king of Tyre, but he's really talking about Satan who's behind the scenes. What did Jesus do in Matthew 16? When he's talking about, he's talking to his disciples, I've got to suffer, and I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised three days later. What does Peter do? No, Lord, you're not doing that. I'm going to save you, Right? You can't, no, no, that's not going to take place, Lord. What is, and Jesus said to Peter, behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Well, he's talking to Peter, but he's also talking to Satan. There's an influence. There's a person back there, right? There's a real entity. There's an enemy. There's op- we have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of that in your life. How many of you, when you start to, to move in God's direction and, and, and read the word, suddenly you're, you find yourself talking to yourself. You find these thoughts come in your mind. Well, you're, you're worthless, and God can't use you. 
Remember what you did way back when? You can't, you're not forgiven for that. No one can really forgive you for that. And you're too short, you're too tall, and your clothes are ugly, right? Nobody likes your car. Like Whatever he can throw at you, he's got to throw at you. And what do we do? We start to believe that. That's not from the Lord. That's not from your heavenly Father who loves you with an everlasting love. But God is perfect in every way. He doesn't say those things to you. The enemy is telling you those things. He's trying to throw you off track. He's trying to minimize. He's trying to make you feel condemned. And by doing so, removing you from the favor of God, from the family of God, trying to remove you from what God is doing. He's trying to break your spirit. And so all of these things protect us from that. It helps us to be alert. Oh, yeah, I don't like my shirt, but that was really mean. That must have been Satan, right? right? I, I don't not like my shirt, but I don't know why he's telling me my shirt's terrible. You start to understand, you start to recognize what is God's voice, what is Satan's voice, what's my own voice, because you spend time with him, you spend time in the Word, and you learn those voices, right? So when someone calls you on the phone and you know who they are, if you didn't have caller ID, and they just said hello, I know, it's, I know it's my wife because I know her hello. I know her voice because I, I, I do life with her. I have a relationship with her. We are one. But if it's a stranger, someone I don't know, and they just say hello, hello, who is this, right? Spend time with him. You get to know his voice. You get to know the voice of the enemy. You know what he's saying. And so this is just to help us understand this is not just about Israel and Egypt. And then when the opposition comes, that it's expected. And we see the influence here of, of, a, of a... We see the, the influence of Satan, the one who set himself up to be the Most High, the one who wanted to take the throne from God, the one who wanted to be God himself. We see that influence here. Well, who is the Lord? Who is this Lord? I don't know him. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to insert myself. I'm going to insert my power. And we see it's irrational. So the the Hebrews, they asked for a three-day journey into the wilderness. To what? To worship their God. That's what they wanted to do. Ancient manuscripts, artifacts show that it was was commonplace. It was not unheard of for pharaohs, for, for Egyptians to allow slaves to go and worship their gods, to take a little break, to take a weekend and go worship their gods. It was not unheard of. This was actually a normal practice. And so it's interesting. They asked for three days. Now they knew God wanted, he was removing them permanently, but they asked for three days. And this just showed the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. It just, it exposed the fact that he was not going to let this take place. If it was any other God, maybe he would have let them. We'd like to go worship this God of this rock. And I painted this little face on it. It looks really cool. And I'm going to get him a body later, but right now we're going to go worship this guy. Can we go for three days and, yeah, whatever, right? Who cares about the rock? It's not a threat to him. There's no real person behind it. But there's a, Satan knows who the real God is, right? And if he's influencing Pharaoh, as he would any tyrant, any dictator, he doesn't want to let him go. And he says to them, to Aaron and Moses, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. He's angry. He doesn't want to let them go. He doesn't want them to stop working for them. He doesn't want to lose his economic prowess. And so he tells them no. And so we see the second section here. We'll read in verse 6. 
And the second point is that Pharaoh displays his power in persecution. So Pharaoh is going to display his power first. He's going to go first. All right. Verse 6, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle, meaning they're lazy. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves when you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And so Pharaoh wants to display his power in persecution. It, it, the first thing that strikes me is it's the same day he commands this. Right, so he gets he gets this request. It makes him really mad. He's just agitated, and maybe he doesn't even know why. He just he's not going to let these people go. It's not going to happen. I don't like this God. You're, I don't like this Yahweh that you're talking about. I like all the other gods, and I'm God, and everything. I don't like this guy for some reason. And isn't that the case with with Christianity and a, and a land filled with the the beautiful you know proclamation of tolerance? Everything is tolerated except Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's not. Go and pray and go and do yoga to this person and go and do that and have your spiritual this and have all, you can read that book and you can read this book, but just do not invoke the name of Jesus and do not invoke the the teachings of Christ. Do not impose anything about Jesus on, on us, but everything else is good, right? It's the same spirit, the evil one's behind the scenes. He's doing the same work. And so the same day, he didn't ask, he didn't get his counsel together. What do you think? I, I, we, we don't want them to go away. I, there's something about this I don't like. I don't, he's just mad. There's an irrational response to, to this. Once again, this is a reasonable request for slaves. And there's some irrational response taking place. And so he wants them to do the impossible. They're already under this ruthless slavery, right? This bitter service. There's, their quotas are already to the point where they're, they're breaking them, trying to break them physically. And what does he want to do? Now take away the straw, make them go find their own raw materials to make the bricks. Because you need water and mud, and the straw helps bind it all together as it bakes in the sun. Now they have to go and do this extra work and still have the same quota. It's irrational. It's meant to break them. It's meant to stop these lying words. They're just lazy, right? Look at his response. It doesn't make sense. If he was so confident as a god of Egypt, he wouldn't be threatened by this. He would just say, no, Mm, denied, right? And he would just walk away. But he's so threatened by this, that he imposes greater work, harsher service upon these people. It's, a, it's an irrational response. 
Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no attention, no regard to lying words. He's saying that these words are lies. That this God is not a real God, but he is also threatened by this God who doesn't exist. I don't know this God, but I'm, I'm threatened by him. They sent his response. And so what does he do? He persecutes them, gives them impossible tasks. The foremen are actually Hebrews. So the, the system of organization is their taskmasters put over the work, and then there's foremen from the Hebrews to then oversee the work because there's so many of them. And the foremen who were the Hebrews were actually beaten. He beat them because they weren't producing enough. It's irrational. It's spiritual warfare. Are we surprised by this? Has the Lord ever, even as believers, has he ever called out some sin in your life? There's been conviction, usually from a spouse or family member or someone in our home who says, you know, you really shouldn't have, what you said was really harsh or you shouldn't have said it that way. What you said a few minutes ago, that was really, uh, I think maybe you need to apologize. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you apologize for what you said 12 years ago? How about that? Right. And we bounce back and we're, we, in our, in our anger, right? In our conviction, we, we continue to sin. We throw it back. We're threatened because we know they're right. And we have that conversation, right? And then we have to eventually repent of that. Those who do not know the Lord, it's, it's all self-protection. Everyone else is to blame. I've got to keep control. I've got to keep power. I'm losing my grip. I don't like this. I've I got to do something. And they're willing to go to whatever length necessary to protect what is theirs. That's the world around us right now. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no sense of, of up, up or down. It's just whatever feels good, whatever I want to do. The ruler of this age, the prince of the power of the air, he's the one behind this. He's doing this work. Now, people are still culpable. As much as um, situations might harden Pharaoh's heart, he also hardens his own heart along the way. So Pharaoh could have said no, but he doesn't. He starts imposing greater work on all these people. This is all part of God's plan. God has this great salvation. He allows it to get worse before it gets better. It will get worse for us before it gets better. There's great joy, though, on the other side of it if we would be obedient and walk with him, depending on him. The problem is we depend on ourselves to try to achieve, and we fail every time. We're in good company, though. Calvin says, that nowadays, the gospel, we're talking about our role in New Testament and our application, the gospel procures hatred for many, deprives others of their pleasures, degrades others from their honors, brings to others the loss of their goods, sentences others to prison, others to exile, and endangers the life of some. In a word, the more that God exerts his power, the more is Satan's rage excited on the other side and the wicked become more fiercely cruel. This is just truth. We'll look at a couple more passages. I don't know what your diet of the word is, how much you've been consuming God's word lately. And so I want to spend a time in a few passages so that um, 
you understand the scope of this, the full counsel of the scripture, that this is, this is for us today. This is not just what's happening in Egypt. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's speaking and he says, as he writes, but understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. In the last, there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Have you, have you seen that on the news anywhere lately? Or, right? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. This list is horrible, right? And this list is real. I think the, the number of abortions last year in this country where it's legal to murder babies 860,000 just last year in our country. That's not, the, that's not even to count every child that was killed since the law was passed in 1973. This is normal here. There was a, you probably saw it on the news recently. I, I mean, I just broke down asking the why question, but then worshiping at the same time. There was a young child, five years old, North Carolina, you guys read this story? He was riding his bike. He's playing with his sisters. He's five. Sisters were seven and eight. Playing outside. The father, previously, there's a neighbor, 25-year-old young man. The father had had the neighbor over. They had lived across the street for years. Just the night before, had the, the young man over, 25-year-old, on the front porch having dinner. And the father said, I'm trying to be, trying to, trying to follow the teachings of Jesus and and love other people and love my neighbor. And so he was doing these small little things, stepping out in faith, doing good things. This, this man, the next day, walks across the street with a handgun and, and shoots the little boy in the head and walks away. He was caught and he's in prison and we don't know the motive yet. That's a, it's appalling, it's evil, it's, it's this list. But there were also 860,000 murders of innocent babies last year. Are we still appalled by that? This is, this is serious. This is warfare. This is why we don't sit on the sidelines. This is why we don't neglect God's word. This is why we do everything possible. We put on the full armor so that we can stand, so that we can withstand. Otherwise, this is going to break us. These stories are just too much. It's too heavy. And if you try to carry it yourself and try to carry all the weight of the, the evil in this world, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be taken out. You're going to be an easy target. But instead, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I don't know why. But Lord, I trust you because you are the great I am. You see things I can't see. You understand things I can't understand. You allow things because it's for your purposes that were set before the beginning. of. I don't, I don't have any right to question you on this, Lord. 
And so help me. Help me. Give me strength, Father. And you know what we do? We read God's word. We are encouraged because the Holy Spirit gives us, gives us truth. And we can combat those things in this world. And we pray for those things. And we pray for one another. And we live this life in a way that glorifies God. And we look at this, these people and we say, I'm not going to give up and stop sharing the goodness of Jesus Christ with others because of this one bad response, because of this one thing that happened in North Carolina. I'm not, instead, I'm not going to lay down and stop fighting. Instead, I'm going to stand up and do something for once. And I can't affect one family in North Carolina, but I can affect one family right here. You don't know what's going on in your neighbor's mind. You don't know what they're going through right now. Think of how hard your life is, and you have Jesus Christ. And how hard they don't have, they don't have the Lord. They've got nothing to hold on to. They've got no hope at all. This is the, the This persecution that comes, this the opposition of the evil one is not to be a surprise to us. If anything, we should understand that it's producing godliness in us when we when we submit to the Lord, when we say, We can't do it, Father. This is too much for me, Lord. James talks about it in James chapter one, right? We're supposed to have, we're supposed to consider joy when we suffer trials of many kinds. What? Why? Well, he tells us why. Because it's producing all these things in us. It's producing godliness in us. Paul continues on. All these terrible things. He says, but they will, verse 9, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. From them all the Lord rescued him. He didn't rescue himself. The Lord did. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. This is God's truth. This will happen. Who is still in control? Who is still sovereign? Whose purposes and plans will not be stopped? God Almighty, the living God, the only true God. We've talked about that. Bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what are we supposed to do? Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's the answer. Continue on what we have learned. Continue in the word of God. Do not walk away from it. This is our call. This is what we're supposed to be doing. 
And if you want to read, once again, I got too much. If you want to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at all of Paul's persecutions. Look at everything he went through. Beatings, shipwrecks. How many, how many times does someone get shipwrecked? Three times. I mean, how many car accidents do you do? This guy's shipwrecked three times. I don't see how that happens except for Paul. Great opposition. He was stoned. He was actually physically stoned. Have you ever been caught in a hailstorm? It doesn't feel very good. He was stoned. And I'm worried about mayonnaise on my sandwich and a fork that was left out of my bag. No, seriously, that's what we do. This is, this is how we act when these little things come up instead of being content with the things God's given us. We need to change. We need to be transformed. We need to be in God's word. The persecution will come. The persecution came. Pharaoh was irrational. And what did he do? He divided the Hebrews. The last thing he divided them, they, what do they do? Instead of crying out to God again, what do they do? And you can read this last section on your own. They went and they complained to Pharaoh. They went to the guy who's, who's abusing them and saying, well, this isn't fair. Why are you doing this to us? And he, what did he say? You're lazy. You're lazy. Get back to your burdens. Get back to work. Pharaoh's not God. He's not going to save them. They went to the wrong guy. They complained to the wrong guy. Instead of crying out to God, that's what they should have been doing. And then what do they do? They turn on Moses and Aaron. Well, this is great. Thanks a lot for showing up, Mr. Mr. Savior, Mr. Deliverer, right? And then Moses goes back to God. Why did you even send me, Lord, at the end of this? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This persecution, when we don't stay steadfast, when we're not remaining faithful, it will divide us from ourselves, from our mission, from our God. We have to remain firm and withstand the schemes of the devil. We'll pick this up next week, but I just want to read for our encouragement and edification. We don't want to leave the story there. Right? We, want to, we want to see what God has to say. We'll be in chapter 6 next week. What is God's response to this, to this complaint of the Hebrews and of Moses. Why did you send me? Why have you done evil to this people? Just consider God's word as we close this morning. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by name, the Lord, the personal name, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land to which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians have sold as slaves, hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I've remembered. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from the slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God makes his promise known without any hesitancy, without any exceptions. This will happen. Why? I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the perfect one, the holy one, the one who inhabits eternity, the eternal one, 
I said it, it will be done. Watch what I can do. And so for whatever persecutions we suffer in this world, whatever trials and struggles, it's for our good. God is allowing it to to strengthen our faith, to bring him greater glory, to bring others to salvation. We are not to shrink away and to be timid in our faith. We're to be bold and to step forward and to stand, even as we put the armor of the Lord on. This This is a real battle. This is real life. Take this seriously. Spend time with the Lord this week. Ask the Lord, Lord, what have I not been doing that I should be? Lord, what am I doing that I should not be? Help me, Father. Make a list. Repent of your sin. Walk with him. Spend time in the word. Pray. Join others in prayer. Join others in study and in fellowship for that encourages you and edifies you and, and gives you what you need. It equips you to send you out into the world. Do all of the things that God provides for you, and then you'll be able to stand. Don't just stay in your seat and cross your arms and give up. That's not what we are to be as believers. This is God's promise out of his love for his his son, Israel. This is his people, and he loves them, and this is not just words in a pep rally. God loves you. He has saved you, not for you to sit, not for you to be defeated but to grow and build his kingdom, to be light to the world. We aren't to hide it under a basket. We are to shine forth the light of Christ to others. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? Does this church matter here? Does our community know we're here? Pray about those things. Let's talk about those things together. And when you're ready to serve, when you're ready to step forward, when you're ready to say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, I have no words, I'm not eloquent in speech. I have no gifts that I know about. I feel totally inadequate. I feel like I can't do this, but I'm here. Here I am, Lord. Because God's called me to do it. When you're ready, step forward. Talk to myself, one of the other elders. We will get you plugged in. We will get you on, on, the, on the front lines, if you will. You will experience struggle and persecution. You will experience great joy as God does amazing things in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you give us great joy when we submit to you, when we obey you, when we walk with you, Lord. There's such great promises for those who are called to be your disciples. Thank you for the gifts that you give us. Father, help our hearts this morning. Some of us are are convicted. I pray that we would repent of our sin as a result. We would not leave this where it's, where it's at, Lord. We would repent and we would come to you humbly with a contrite heart because you, you are pleased with that and you dwell with your people. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, Lord, help us to be a humble people, to be a dependent people, to be a prayerful people. There are some of us who maybe are ready, but... They know if they step out, there'll be opposition. That's okay. You've promised to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. 
You're with us. You give us everything we need. And here's the, the truth of the matter, Lord, is if we don't obey you, we don't step out, we have trouble anyway. And it's the kind that does not please you. So help us, Father, to be servants who are willing to step out, even though we might fail and we are inadequate and we are finite, Lord. We thank you that you're infinite and that you're faithful. You help us. You give us strength, strength that we don't have on our own. Thank you for that, Father. May we be a people, a church that is moving, that is standing, that is engaging with the reality of the life around us, Lord, instead of just sitting back and hoping someone else takes care of it. Forgive us, Father, of our sin collectively and help us, Lord, as your people to move forward in mission. Show us what that looks like. Give us each our part to play, Father. Show us what our gifts are. Help us to connect with a ministry that will bring joy to our hearts because we're serving the living God. And ultimately, Father, we we trust in your promises that, Jesus, you are coming back. Help us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.